It's episode 48 of Auto Catch Up. I'm Ash Perkins, and you're in the right place if you want to catch up with all of the automotive news that has happened in the last week, not only here in Australia, but around the world. Now, to catch you up, we've got a. a it was, it's been a bit of a slow week. Um, but saying that, luckily, it has been a good week uh, to be driving the new BMW M440i xDrive, and that's what I've been driving this week. It's uh, And if you haven't been keeping up, the uh, 4 Series Coupe is certainly that car that has been causing a bit of attention. And and depending on which camp you sit in, perhaps good attention, also not so good uh, attention. And I'd probably hazard a guess and say probably uh, the not so good attention has been winning uh, the popularity vote here. Um, but the BMW 440i um, in the M, as an M performance model is a little bit different to the outgoing 4 Series, which was just a rear-wheel drive, um, fairly well-loaded for 40i. Um, But this one steps it up to an all-wheel drive setup. It has more power. It is um, what you could... It's it's, it's as fully loaded as you probably could uh, spec a 4 Series BMW. Um, Performance-wise, it is a 3-litre twin... Uh, or a three-liter turbo inline six. It is 285 kilowatts of power, 500 newton meters of torque, and that's all connected to an eight-speed ZF auto box. Um, with all that power going to all of the wheels, it does change things a little bit. Where particularly with uh, the four and three series coupes of past, um, their their signature piece of driving style and performance has been through that real-wheel drive car but this is now an all-wheel drive and and all-wheel drive is something that has existed for a long time outside of australia within bmw across all pretty much all of their their models including the one series um if you if you live in places like germany um you can definitely spec uh an m135i x drive an m125i x drive and um everything in, in in between all the way up to your seven series but xDrive here is a little bit newer to Australia. Um, we haven't typically got those models in the past and uh, any of those that you see have been, you know, sometimes privately imported from those coming from places like the UK. So this is a little bit different in terms of driving dynamics, but it certainly means that the performance is there. You're looking at a low um, to mid four seconds, zero to 100 time. Um, which is certainly fast enough for a lot of people <laughs> out there. And if you're wanting more, there's always the M4 to step up to. Um, but it's it's a, a it's a good car. It, there's there's a lot to to love about it. it it's very well specced out inside. Uh, ours had a wonderful orange and dark interior sunroof. You had all of the uh, the, the trimmings with the the leather everywhere. Um, full digital display and um, a nice wide infotainment system. You do have your wireless CarPlay, uh, Qi wireless charging, um, adequate cup holders. Um, in previous cars, it hasn't been that great. And same with the wireless charging. You can fit all the way to some of the largest iPhones and Android phones now, where previously that was always a big challenge if you had a larger phone. But now that shouldn't be too much of a problem. Uh, the only thing to keep in mind is that if you do have a smaller phone, you do just have to try a little bit harder in a aligning the phone better 
into the wireless charging area. So when you sit it down for the first time, it might not always correctly or fully line up. And it is just something you have to be uh, sort of a bit more careful of. Um, but that's really a fairly minor thing when you're driving a car like that, that you've got a beautiful Harman Kardon uh, sound system, which sounds great, sounds solid. And um, yeah, then it comes all the way down to the looks. And uh, on the outside, I think it's quite an attractive car from 95% of the angles. Now, if you if you look at the, the 4 Series dead on, it does have those huge vertical grills, um, kidney grills that... Look, historically, they have a lot of connection. Um, you've got all sorts of early iconic BMW models with huge vertical uh, vents, but more modern BMWs have had smaller grills, and this is certainly a, a departure from what we've seen from any other BMW in recent time. And we thought the uh, BMW X7 had a large front grill. Well, this certainly um, goes and trumps it. But... From, from most angles, it actually looks quite good. Particularly, we had a, a dark gray uh, metallic paint, and um, I think it looked quite good unless you were looking at it directly dead on, and then that was um, probably not exactly uh, I- ideal in terms of looks. It just looked a little bit off, but from most other angles, three-quarter angles, particularly up close, it actually suits the car quite quite well and um, particularly if you have that number plate sitting across the middle it it works Um, I think the M4 and the M3 look better and that's simply because of how the M4 and its front the M3 and the M4 how their front spoiler and how their front grill um, are surrounded just brings out the detail and brings out a, a slightly different focus where compared to the the regular 4 Series and the M440i, um, you do have a few more bits and pieces because you have your daytime running lights and your fog lights and things like that integrated and a few more different vents, just a slightly different style. Um, but I think it definitely comes down to your color. But overall, driving it, it, it drives great. Uh, fuel economy isn't amazing. Uh, you're looking at about 11 liters per 100, but it certainly, again, comes down to how you drive it. You do have all of your different driving modes, so you can go through um, your Eco Pro, Comfort, Sport, Sport Plus, and then Sport Individual. So Sport Individual is how you can tune and set up the car exactly how you want. So if you want sharper acceleration, but you want softer suspension and and a slightly different steering um, profile, you can set that up to exactly how you want it. So if you want to use that daily, that's totally up to you. Um, Eco Pro works great when you're wanting to extend your range a little bit. It it also gives you a little bit of a different piece of information. It, It shows you how far the car has been able to coast, how much fuel you've saved or even... Um, I guess or fuel you've, how much fuel you've saved or even how much extra range you've added on top of your remaining um, fuel. So that is useful, particularly if you want to extend, and, uh, extend and, and basically if you're going for a long drive or you need to stretch out that extra kilometer or so to make it to a fuel station, that is certainly going to be um, a thing that you use. But another thing that I've noticed in this car, which I do like a lot, is the adaptive. Now, based on how you're driving and and what sort of scenarios you're driving, it will change the dynamics of the car that you're driving in and um, change the tuning based on that. Funnily enough, it's something that I've seen used in, say, the Hyundai Palisade, which, which we've been driving. So we stepped into the, um, the the entry level model this week as well with that, and. Um, 
that's basically been a standard feature within the Hyundai's of having that auto mode. Um, depending on your throttle and, and all, all of those different bits and pieces, it decides what the best um, mode the car should be in to either maximize performance or to maximize fuel saving or somewhere in between. Um, so that is a nice addition in here. And um, yeah, it, if, if you know BMWs, this certainly doesn't dramatically depart from anything else you've experienced. Um, the interior is very much uh, familiar Um down to pretty much everything. It's it's a fairly standard affair across BMWs at the moment. Um, but overall, we took it on some tight and twisty roads today and it handled itself brilliantly. It does understeer a little bit, which is something which is slightly different to what we expect from rear-wheel drive 4-series and 3-series coupes of the past. But that is purely down to probably the, the how the X-Drive is tuned and um, sometimes all-wheel drives tend to understeer a little bit more. So that is something where um, you need to be, if you're pushing the car, that is where you'll start to learn and change that driving style to, to suit it. But certainly not something which um, feels awful to drive. It, it is still a very um, predictable and solid drive. It accelerates so well. It really throws you into the back of your seat. Just how the engine tuning, that six cylinder um three liter is just a brilliant engine that bmw have made and um yeah it really sings it sounds great if you push it and play with it um in s or m mode uh for your gearbox so your manual or sport mode it um it will give you pops and cracks and uh but it is typically a very bassy uh exhaust experience which i quite like it's not loud and screamy it is very subtle in how it um gives you that feedback as well so yeah that is the 440i uh tomorrow um at the start of the week i jump into the gr yaris so i hand back one performance car and uh jump into one that's been pretty anticipated and i'm quite looking forward to it too so i'm anxious to, to jump onto some roads and uh maybe find a couple of sneaky little bits of dirt and see how that performs um i have done my best to, to stay away from a lot of other reviews until i've had a chance to drive it just to sort of not preload uh, other uh, other other thoughts into how I'm going to expect that car because I've I've already got some preconceived notions just from reading the press releases and um, some early footage and obviously as you know we've discussed the vehicle with Joel here previously uh, but I'm really excited to jump into that and um, yeah and see how that goes later on I will also be jumping on in the future to compare the M440. I will be jumping to the 430 just to see how that, as you step into more of the regular lineup of the 4 Series, um, how that compares and, and what that experience is jumping back from not only an X-Drive, but the M Performance model of the range. But to jump into some of our major news this week. So one of them uh, being, we'll jump into some Formula 1 a little bit later because we do have some sad news to share with that one. Um, but this here is the 50th anniversary of the Lamborghini Countach. Uh, so originally launched in 1974, it has basically been, um, you know, the the poster child of, you know, what defined a supercar in uh, the modern world. It's it, We didn't really see anything like this in the angles, the design. It's so radical. It was a... Um, 
just one of those cars that I can imagine. Obviously, I wasn't around uh, when it was revealed at the Geneva Motor Show uh, 50 years ago, um, but it was something that was definitely a, a futuristic, uh, edgy, wedge-shaped Countach, um, which obviously defined, as you know, every other Lamborghini and also a lot of other supercars over time. Um, but it was just amazing how with a limited production run, they were able to, and the story of it, we've linked it into um, Car Advice. have done a, a great article great article on it um to really go through the, the development of it um because following up with the Mura, obviously that was also quite iconic in its design um the Countach design was really it was kind of too successful for them uh, they had to sort of backpedal and attempt to meet sort of the custom demand that they and the, and the expressions of interest they had and they didn't expect um, to be able to meet and uh, obviously not disappoint too many people, but also maximize those sales. Um, but go through, this is, again, one of those vehicles where the heritage is found in um, V12 Lamborghinis today, where that engine um, design remains unchanged, where obviously other things and more and more power has been derived. But it is one of those things where... Um, yeah, that if you look in uh, an Aventador, if you see one out and uh, you can look through the louvers, that core block design hasn't changed since, um, you know, for over 50 years now. And it's quite remarkable about what they'd be able to do with that. That is about to change, obviously, with a with the hybrid um, era coming into Lamborghini. The, the question marks are around if that V12 design will remain for much longer. Obviously, perhaps not in a naturally aspirated form, but this is a, you know, a, a simply amazingly iconic vehicle. And um, I strongly recommend it. It's, it's a long history. It's a very interesting history. And I, and I definitely recommend jumping onto the article that we've linked just to, to dive into a little bit more of it. And um, there's some great videos on YouTube as well if you uh, want to explore explore it even more um, of just uh, how special this vehicle was to to car people um, to end to the greater supercar world given that you know they defined this very market uh, that we very much enjoy seeing the fruits of today but okay so let's move on to the next major article and this one is very interesting um, so the Australian government is uh, moving to make it harder for automotive giants and brands to abandon Australia and leave motorists high and dry also the um, the headline from car advice says but essentially this is a very interesting thing and an interesting move by the Australian government and it's following the um, the shutdown and ch- ra- fairly radical changes that have been happening in the automotive market here in Australia um, and has been happening for a little while now. So obviously Holden shut down last year and um, we saw ongoing um, back and forth negotiations and and pretty much a fairly ugly fallout happen between those dealers and General Motors, as well as the uncertainty around sort of parts and availability for customers. And um, this is what, this is exactly what the Australian government is looking to addressed by essentially providing uh, peace of mind about ongoing parts, service and warranty support in the local area um, with the, you know, with the federal government wanting to essentially threaten um, these brands with fines up to two, uh, sorry, up to $10 million for misconduct under a revised franchising code. Um, But basically, if 
This means in uh, in short that foreign car companies can be fined if they unilaterally change contracts, offer insufficient compensation for a closing dealer, or knock back legitimate warranty claims. Um, so not only Holden was... Uh, you know, one of the triggers, but also Honda with their radical change and shutting down of Honda dealers down to just 11 locations around Australia um, caused a lot of dealers to be stuck into remaining negotiations, as well as um, if you think about with those closure of those locations, where does a Honda customer go if they're wanting to get factory or factory supported servicing? So um, that is uh, a concern. And obviously for the dealers um, wanting to, come to a you know a mutually beneficial resolution of um you know deciding the amount of compensation they're owed um after having those contracts terminated in reflecting the the amount of investment they've put in um the lost opportunity and obviously the need to either move on from that space or fill that space with something else and there's a lot of cost and everything that's associated with that so i can see that um being a beneficial thing um particularly with honoring the obligations for warranty parts and service backup. But with that, to be honest, $10 million, I don't think that's really that large. We're talking about uh, General Motors was was talking several hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars to, to close down the operation and exit Australia and obviously all the fallout that comes from that. And I think... I don't. I don't know if ten million dollars would be a large enough fine, even if they applied the maximum. I, I don't see that's a very big um, way to discourage particular particular actions. Anyway, maybe not all actions, but um, when you're talking about a business that can be costing several times more than that, sometimes the brands are just going to want to go and and get out of there. And um, I don't see how that fine is going to to really um, address it. But this is a positive step forwards and I'm sure dealers are are very happy with this, particularly as we see more change happening with uh, the way why cars are sold here in Australia with more of them being sold online directly through the manufacturer as well as um, say, for example, what Mercedes are doing with the agency or the agent um, approach. We're offering it's, it's fixed price vehicles and um, you, you essentially choose where you want to pick the vehicle up and they get the commission based on that. Um, so this is going to be very interesting to follow and we'll learn more as that happens because it was only just recently announced. Um, the CEO of the Australian Automotive Dealers Association, James Fortman, said the reforms are sensible and fair and will bring all manufacturers up to the standard already being employed by ethically minded car brands operating in Australia. I uh, went on to say the new code of conduct will ensure deal agreements are captured by these regulations and will set appropriate fines for breaches of the franchising code. Only car manufacturers who ride roughshod over Australian deers have had anything to fear from what has been announced today. And look, I agree with that. Um, we, we, we have seen excellent shutdown operations. Obviously, it's sad when that happens. But for example, Opal, that appears to be from from everything that we heard following that shutdown was very um and it's kind of funny because it comes from general motors as well but that seemed to be very amicable for a lot of dealers who had invested it and um put the effort to to support the brand very early on and um and the access to parts and everything like that uh for customers and uh so yeah that's there is there are certain examples of that um 
working. And um, yeah, hopefully this will, you know, these, these measures will hopefully sort of push the best practice of um, not only just voluntary principles into mandatory obligations under that franchising code. So sort of force the hand and, and not go, this is a nice thing to do, but this is a thing that we have to do. Um, and the federal government also wants to ensure that the franchising code keeps pace with the changes to business practice by explicitly recognizing the dealers operating as a manufacturer's agent in relation to new vehicle sales are still protected by the franchising code. So yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that and um, we'll have a bit more of a discussion of it as we learn more. But moving on to the next piece of uh, news, this is following along from basically what the status quo has been for a lot of car makers now has been that transition to a fully electric future but now now nine countries within the eu are pushing to ban petrol and diesel cars um, as they aim for carbon neutrality so this is part of that europe within the european commission um they're now looking at trying to set a date of which to end the sale of those cars and vans with traditional internal combustion engines. So we know that a number of different com- countries and um, regions have said that you know they'll be ending petrol and diesel car sales by 2030 or 2035, um, or at least signaled that they're intending to. But with the EU saying that they're going to be doing it, the ban would be implemented across the 28 countries that are within there. So that will be a way to force the hand. And obviously it aligns with um, what the other, a lot of other makers, so such as Volvo, Jaguar, Ford within Europe, um, Bentley, Volkswagen Group and, and GM, um, either offering a majority or all electric by 2030 or within you know the next 15 years. So um, this is going to be an interesting to, thing to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see this ban happen and perhaps a, a 2030 or even a 2035, um, given that a lot of the car makers are aligning with that. And um, But it certainly puts the pressure on a lot of other brands um, which have been a bit slower in acting in this. Particularly, it's going to put a lot of pressure on uh, smaller automotive um, outlets. And perhaps does that mean will Australia and other places become a bit of a, a, a hotspot for petrol cars? Because we, I, I anticipate, will be one of the one of the last places to ban petrol cars. Same with the US. I, I don't see that changing anytime radically soon it will happen but not happen probably as quickly as the eu are wanting to move um but this sort of follows along this move by the eu and the nine key countries that are sort of pushing for this have um you know this this falls in line with that with their plan to halve new car emissions by 2030 um with the block previously stating that it will be carbon neutral by 2050 and um, European truck manufacturers have pledged to stop using drop diesel powered trucks by 2040. So this will be interesting to, to see. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's coming from, this this major push is coming from Denmark and the Netherlands um, with support from Austria, Belgium, Greece, Ireland, Lithuania, Luxembourg and Malta. So keep Stay tuned in for that one because I'm sure that uh, we'll have more to talk uh, next week and as things unfold and even perhaps see more and more brands planning to announce that they're going to be fully electric by, 
let's just say probably 2030, 2035 by the looks of it, that seems to be the trend so far. Now, this is pretty exciting, this next piece of news. So Polestar, which is the the, the premium brand or premium electric brand, I should say, owned by Volvo, is confirmed that it's be entering five markets within Asia Pacific um, by the end of 2021. So Polestar is the... It's... um. A very exciting electric car brand. They, I've, I've been following some of the stuff overseas in Europe, and um, I love the design of these cars. It, it, think of modern Volvo, but just that next level. Um, so the Polestar 2 um, is set to arrive here as soon as late this year. So this is going to be very, very exciting. Um, the Polestar 1 is a grand touring sports coupe, and um, but the Polestar 2 is a, is a fully electric fastback, um, which essentially sets up to rival against the, the Tesla Model 3. Um, so this is pretty cool. It's a, it's a, it's a great looking car it um you know has your typical swedish design um and super practical at the same time it has it's it's five doors so it is that hatchback um 440 liters of liters of cargo space and um a towing capacity of 1500 kilos if you want to whack a a tiny little camper trailer onto the back of that go for it a couple of jet skis all good you're set to go um the interior is wonderfully futuristic but also extremely familiar if you know your volvo vehicles um but it also in terms of powering it it has a 78 kilowatt hour battery pack um which feeds two electric motors that unleash 300 kilowatts of power and 600 60 newton meters of torque zero to 100 takes five seconds and a full charge gives you about 500 kilometers so that is heading much closer to that sweet spot for that charging range i know that whenever i've driven the kona ev which um for me is that great gold standard for what a a simple straightforward electric vehicle should be that is about 450 to 500 kilometers of electric range and so that you know having a pulsar 2 really hitting on that is um is very exciting so in Australia, there is a new managing director for the Polestar brand, um, and they've already been appointed. So Samantha Johnson is leading the local team, and um, some of those Asia-Pacific markets are setting as an imported basis with local partners, um, but it's great that we have a, a managing director for the area. So preparations are at different stages for the different countries, um, but a brand launch in Australia is expected later this year before online sales open. And um, we'll keep you up to date as more of that unfold. So pricing and product details for Australia will be announced closer towards that point. And um, I'm very looking forward to it. That's going to be very exciting um, to see finally come. And speaking of the Kona, so not the electric version, but the uh, the Kona N. So the Kona N has been previewed again. So now we're finally seeing the exterior, and um, it's pretty much exactly what you've probably expected. Um, it's it's the updated Kona with uh, some go fast Hyundai N bits. It uh, it looks good, looks fast. I love the back. So it's got big fat um, dual exhausts um, coming out either side. It, it doesn't go too over the top, which I kind of like. Um, and it just uh, yeah, really aims for that performance version. So it really hits the scene. So it follows the, the i30N and uh, the incoming i20N, which we drove earlier. 
and um, yeah, this is going to be cool. So this is the first SUV designed and developed by the N Division and the Hyundai Design Center. So they um, they say that they concentrated on creating a package that expresses a powerful presence as well as driving fun. So yeah, you've got those large bore exhaust outlets, finned rear diffuser, big alloy wheels, and um, yeah, it's a, it's powered by. Well, it's not official yet, um, but this Performance Drive article is saying that it's going to incorporate the N Division's latest two-liter turbo four-cylinder, which gives us about 206 kilowatts of power, which is pretty much like what we'll see in the updated i30N. And um, yeah, it's going to be using the eight-speed wet-type dual-clutch transmission. So very much looking forward to that. And uh, as pricing and uh, all those things that are important when it comes to buying a car, um, we'll keep you updated. So more details will be released soon. And um, yeah, it's expected to arrive in the third quarter. So moving on to motorsport news. So unfortunately... um, news came out as to the passing of Murray Walker um, who died at age 97 and um, well known as the voice of Formula One Um, he's (laughs) as they say he had pants on fire commentary style cementing him as an icon and a treasured part of the motorsport world so he um, for 23 years led as a commentator on F1's UK coverage on BBC and ITV and basically helped define the Grand Prix racing for many and um, was his biggest star in the paddock as many drivers and team bosses uh, he's born in 1923 and surrounded by motorsport with his father Graham being a motorsport motorcycle works racer for Rudge Sunbeam and Norton prior to embarking on his own radio commentary career um his first live radio broadcast was in 1949 at the British Grand Prix where he was positioned at Stowe Corner and he had a baptism of fire as Autosport co-founder John Bolster crashed right in front of him. Walker feared the worst but came through the experience with flying colours. With the commentary bug fully there, Walker went on to cover the Isle of Man TT alongside his father for 14 years as well as a huge variety of motorsport events including hill climbs, circuit racing on two and four wheels, rallying and rally cross. Um, But as you probably um, might know that and maybe not so much here in Australia, but uh, he also had a lot of, uh, he had a full-time role in advertising where he worked on um, famous clients and created a lot of um, catchy jingles. And um, it's certainly worth going up and and, and jumping onto YouTube and and looking at some of those ads, um, particularly that he's featured in, as well, including a a particularly great one with Damon Hill and uh, himself at at Pizza Hut. It's it's kind of great. Um, But for me, it was... um, one of those things where I I got into Formula One just after Murray Walker had um, retired. So he retired from commentating in 2001. Um, and it was one of those things where he was still, even then, um, just synonymous with what the sound of Formula One was. Um, it's it's changed a little bit now, with um, particularly with, with David Croft. Um being sort of that that voice now, um, but yeah, it's a it was a, an unreal career, and it sort of helped create the the presence that Formula One has now. Formula One is is one of those visual and audio um, sports that that 
yeah, having a voice like that, it's kind of like for us here, um, you know, you know those voices that when you listen to to the AFL, to rugby league, it is just um, that is exactly what you expect. That's what you associate with that sport. And Murray Walker, for many, was um, you know was was that person. Um, but I've linked the Autosport article uh, in the show notes, and um, you can go through some of his best quotes as well, um, such as "There's nothing wrong with this car except it's on fire," uh, or Another one which I love. With half with half the race gone, there is half the race to go. And um, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there and 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 have you jump onto the show notes and and look at those best quotes. It's certainly worth the time to go through and um, reflect on that. But um, thank you, Murray Walker, for for having such an impact and uh, being um, such an influence on on motorsport. As uh, Formula One continues, so the season has uh, got underway with the preseason tests, and um, we've linked. It's, there's a lot of news coming out of this one, but it's very interesting to see the the different where teams are at. So typically, the Bahrain um, or, or the tests, the preseason tests um, that have been going on in the past, typically run for a lot longer and um, perhaps don't face such wild um, uh, variances in sort of the, the weather which they're facing. But this is a very condensed testing program this year. So it's three days in Bahrain, two weeks ahead of the, the first opening race, which is there. And um, it's been certainly very interesting to see what has gone down. So We've um we've seen that Mercedes again, <laughs> the jokes uh, have have flown with um Mercedes, uh, taking sandbagging to a whole new level. They've gone through a couple of interesting challenges this um uh, over over this testing period. So they initially had a, a gearbox issue that limited their time on the first day, and then uh, on the second day, uh, Lewis Hamilton found himself beached in a certain part of the track, but it hasn't been the smoothest um, testing set for Mercedes this year. Does that really leave us thinking that it's going to be any different in the results for the rest of the year? Probably not. Would it be interesting to see if Mercedes hasn't got everything together, particularly when they haven't, they didn't do any shakedowns, they didn't do any other filming days or anything like that prior um, to the test, so the, it, it'd be a nice little surprise to have um, a little bit of uncertainty. Ferrari, uh, Carlos Sainz is getting settled into his car and learning the the, the, tw- the little tweaks and differences of jumping into a Ferrari versus his McLaren of last year. Same with Daniel Ricciardo. Fernando Alonso is settling into the Alpine. And um, uh, Checo Perez settling into his Red Bull. Um, most of the other testing has been fairly, um, uh, fairly on 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 track from what we've seen. Um, obviously, we've had a few little failures here here and there, um, but it's been a fairly solid testing period for a lot of the teams, and they're quite happy with it. So, in the final day. Perez so far is is, t- is quickest. Um, 
Verstappen is is not buying the the Mercedes F1 struggles. Ferrari is, has obviously been working through their radical changes on the rear end, um, particularly with uh, their different diffusers and uh, solving those problems of creating a more stable car and reworking that engine to to maximize that. Raikkonen has said that the Ferrari is in a Ferrari engine is in a much better position compared to last year, and um, yeah, so. It's it's very interesting, and um, obviously you can't read too much into these tests. There's there's going to be a lot of things that are going on, um, but there's certainly some going to be some interesting analysis coming out of from the teams when they're running the full race distance simulations and and, and things like that. So keep an eye on that, um, but I wouldn't expect too crazy news to come out it's all of it's going to come down to that first race weekend and to see where everybody's at at at, you know essentially in quality and in race because until now it's still very much an unknown uh for it but it's shaping up to be a very interesting season and i'm very much looking forward to it i can't wait Okay, so let's jump into some local news now. So first off in our EV and hybrid news, so Kia, following the Hyundai's new Ionic 5, Kia has teased their um, EV, what they're calling their EV6, which is also based on the same platform. So this is going to be very interesting, and some of the images that they've sent out is pretty exciting. Um, so it's not only going to be... Well, it's it's wearing the new Kia badge, of course, um, but it's going to be the first Kia model to be based on this architecture, and it's going to be showcasing a totally new design language for the brand. So this is going to be exciting. This is going to be a big shift um, in Kia's focus to electrification, and um, this is going to be interesting. So Kia's global design center um, head, he or Karim Habib said that the EV6 is the embodiment of both our brand purpose, movement that that inspires, and our new design philosophy. It has been designed to inspire every journey by offering an instinctive and natural experience that improves daily lives of our customers and provide us own, provide user ownership that is simple, intuitive, and integrated. So the teaser images which we've seen um, are very similar in um, kind of think of a little bit like the Ionic 5, but also a similar profile to like what the Jaguar I-Pace is um, that it looks like. So it's got some really um, nice looking front wheel arches and curved bonnet that gives it sort of, it sort of sits up a little bit. Um, but then they do give us a hint of the rear taillight design, which is a really nice, thin, almost like a little bit of rope with some stuff coming off uh, for the LED um, LED brake sh- strip, can we call it? So it's it's a bit similar to what we see in the, in the Kia Stinger. Um, and uh, yeah, this is going to be really exciting. There's not too much detail at all. So we've only, get, we've only had four images come out of it, I think. And um, yeah, it's going to be making its international debut at the first quarter of this year. And um, yeah, we expect maybe later this year, we'll see a production version we don't know. That's uh, that's yet to be known. We'll probably find out more once the um, the proper debut happens later. But power is expected to be fairly similar to the Ionic Five, um, so probably both rear and wheel drive options. And um, just like the Ionic Five, power about two hundred twenty five kilowatts and six hundred five newton meters of torque, and um, range between four seventy and four eighty. So this is going to be exciting. I think it 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 has the potential to look very good, um, and uh, 
this will be very interesting to see sort of like that that new direction um, which which Kira is heading in. But not wanting to be left behind and probably taking a little bit of inspiration from Toyota, um, Honda is planning new hybrid versions of the HRV, Civic, and CRV to obviously go directly against the uh, Toyota CHR, Corolla, and RAV4. If you haven't been keeping up, so the CHR, Corolla, and RAV4 are all available on hybrid, and particularly in the Corolla and RAV4, the hybrid is just the runaway success. Um, I think it's in some in some cases it's making up like nearly eighty or greater than eighty percent of the sales volume, which is obviously a huge amount. Um, and if you're wanting to buy a RAV4 now, you still have a little bit of a wait across most colors. Um, last time I spoke to some friends of mine. And, um, yeah, this is going to be, you know, this seems to make perfect sense. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm kind of surprised that it's taken this long for a man- another manufacturer to really go hard and offer a hybrid version of their vehicles at a reasonable price. Um, obviously, we don't have pricing directly at the moment, and they are still just planning these models, so it still could be a little way away. Um and I feel like this needs to happen sooner rather than later to have any real impact. Um, but obviously, Honda Australia's managing director, Stephen Collins, acknowledges that in particular, the price has to be right. Um, and so that the brand's research indicated that value was key to the success. And um, obviously, you know, for the Toyota Camry, the hybrid starts at 31,790 before you're on roads. Um, yeah, so but the equivalent hybrid Honda Accord wears a price tag of fifty four nine ninety. That's a big difference. Um, obviously, and we'll, we'll touch it um, as we move through. But yeah, it's uh, one of those things of um, it's it's really important to be really aggressive on price. Uh, the hybrid Rav Four starts at forty thousand dollars, and obviously you can move up to to other higher models. But that's a really aggressive starting point. Uh, the CRV hybrid um, has yet to yet to launch, um, even though the variant is available across overseas. But yeah, it's going to be really important that they get these these economics right. It's going to be exciting um, to see these and have a, a more you know, a bigger option thing. It's There's quite a few hybrid options available in America, for example, from Honda, um, such as the Honda Legend, which is hybrid and all-wheel drive, but we're pretty much unlikely we're never going to see it. Um, and other opportunities do exist, um, such as things like it's uh, the new Odyssey and um, CRV and obviously the Jazz. But yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, as things get launched, we'll... We'll keep you in the loop. Okay, so this one is interesting um, with the latest update coming out of Toyota. So the new Toyota Camry, which has been updated, um, we've got some new specs, we've got some new pricing, but most interestingly, it's almost exclusively hybrid now. So with the axing of the top-end V6 models, we're now down to only one, and that's your Ascent petrol so price from 39.90 um you've got your this is all before honor cost of course so that's that's your ascent petrol um but then it's all hybrid from there so you have an, an ascent hybrid ascent sport hybrid sx hybrid and then the range topping sl hybrid so pricing goes all the way up to 46.990 um plus your on roads but 
yeah, this is this is really interesting. So pricing is pretty sharp, and um, it's it really is sort of taking it um, to the Master Six, the Skoda Octavia, the Passat, the Accord. Um, but yeah, so you've got your entry level model, but no longer um, that that V6, which was quite fun to drive. Uh, but in terms of specs, so all um, Camrys are just like before, um, front wheel drive with a CVT transmission. So it's, it's it works for what it is, particularly in the hybrid. You're not you're not really buying these for performance. If you want performance, you can sort of squeeze into it, but it's not your primary focus here. But you do have a facelift with more standard equipment as well as a slightly redesigned front fascia and dashboard which i do quite like it's worth having a look at some photos but you do have a new nine inch touchscreen um in the ascent sport sx and sl um with the ascent sticking with the seven inch unit from before the advanced driver systems have also been expanded so you have things such as intersection assist um, for your aeb so your emergency braking system and emergency assist for the lane keeping systems as well as road sign recognition Standard equipment in the Ascent um, basically includes your LED lights, LED wheels, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, um, pedestrian and cyclist detection, steering assist, adaptive cruise control, high beam assist, and a reversing camera. If you're stepping up to the Ascent Sport, you've got keyless entry, push button start, sat nav, um, dual zone climate control, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert, and parking sensors. And then your SX gets your sport suspension, larger alloy wheels, paddle shifters, front sport seats, and leather centered upholstery. Um, but if you're going all the way to the top and you're climbing it, uh, you know, climbing that ladder, you get a power operated boot lid, panoramic sunroof, nine speaker JBL sound system, heads up display, heated and cooled front seats, which are so good, and auto dimming review mirror with surround view cameras. Now, what I do find interesting is some of these safety things I wouldn't expect just from the entire range um, your blind spot monitoring, request traffic alert, and even parking sensors. Um, it would be nice to have that in the Ascent, um, but I can understand why they would push that into the Ascent Sport, but any of those standard f- safety features really should be across everything. Um, same with your auto dimming, rear view mirror. Oh man, it sucks when you got to you know keep mucking around with that and changing it. And I can never get it to work great or just sort of really streamly streamline um flicking between the two but the auto dimming really makes a huge difference there um at night particularly with all the cars with the headlights pointing in all sorts of directions but so that's that's a good solid update i do like the the look of the the new car it does look nice and sporty and that interior just updates it a little bit more particularly with the car car play and android auto and things like that are just a must-have these days but moving into our internal combustion cars, so we've got a few interesting things. So we've got the new GV70 from Genesis. So that has been confirmed with details. No pricing still, uh, which is a little bit annoying, um, particularly with their deposit offer running out on the 22nd of March. So that's where if you place a deposit, um, Genesis will match that with another $1,000 of contribution. And um, But we don't know pricing yet so that's really odd so far to not have pricing um but it is confirmed to be going on sale 
in Australia during the second quarter of the year, which makes sense because that same office says you have to take delivery within uh, or before June 30. So that all aligns up. But this essentially, um, you know, this is the second SUV from uh, from Genesis following from the GV80. And um, yeah, there are four main variant levels which have been confirmed for Australia. So you've got a, the entry-level 2.5T wheel-wheel drive, the all-wheel drive version of that, and then you have the 2.2 diesel all-wheel drive and then a 3.5T all-wheel drive sport. All have an available um, or an optional luxury package so that um, and your three entry models will also have an optional Sportline package but essentially the 3.5T already has it with it essentially with that box ticked because it is the all-wheel drive sport. Duh. But, um, but yeah, so this utilizes a couple of good engines. So the 2.5-liter turbo petrol four-cylinder, um, which gives you 224 kilowatts and 422 new meters of torque, which is nice and healthy. Um, overseas, stats say that gives you about 0 to 106.1 seconds. Um, and then the 2.2-liter diesel is a turbo four-cylinder, which is 154 kilowatts and 440 new meters of torque. And uh, that 0 to 100 is a little bit slower at 7. Nine seconds. At the top of the range, we've got the 3.5 liter twin turbo V6, and that develops 279 kilowatts of power and 530 new meters of torque. And um, yeah, this is pretty good. So this, so overseas numbers gives it a zero to 105.1 seconds, um, which sort of knocks on the door of the X3 M40i from BMW. Um, and it's also quicker than the P400 F-Pace from Jaguar. So um, depending on the money of where that can comes in, we don't know pricing. This could be a quite compelling car for, for the money. Um, you do have your 8-speed auto transmission, 19-inch alloy wheels for the 4-cylinders and 21-inch wheels for the 3.5T. Um, you have adaptive suspension with road preview technology, so it reads the road in front and adjusts for the for the bumps. Um, you do have the typical, if you've seen the, the new updated Genesis interior, you do have that beautiful 14.5-inch touchscreen um, with your dial as well as your hand controller. Um, you've got your augmented reality sat-nav, digital radio, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, and your at least, or as they say, at minimum, nine-speaker sound system. Safety features, you've got tons of different things, so I'm not going to go into all of them, but essentially, um, yeah, it just uh, it has stuff that's standard that's an optional thing in your European competitors um if you go for the luxury package you get the 12.3 inch digital instrument cluster heated receipts heads up display stunning napa leather it is really good used it in the g80 and the gv80 it's beautiful uh, you got three zone climate control and a high-end 16 speaker sound system by lexicon as well as a whole bunch of other things um Pricing, yeah, it, it's not available yet. It's very annoying. Um, I've, I've been um, hit up by a number of readers wanting to know to be able to make a difference, uh, or sorry, to, to make a deposit, I should say. Um, but it's uh, it's hard to do it when you don't know what the pricing is going to be. 
Um, but I'm very excited for it nonetheless. I think uh, this is going to be the the car that really hopefully makes an impact for Genesis here in, in Australia. The GV80 is a bit probably a bit too big for most people um, that are wanting to jump into a car like this. And uh, I think this is the, the SUV that's going to really make the difference uh, for Genesis. So I'm looking forward to, to see that finally arrive. So the Lexus LX570S, so their big uh, Land Cruiser-based SUV has been updated for 2021. I'm I'm guessing ahead of the uh, major refresh that we're going to see from Toyota in the Land Cruiser in the the 300 series, but this one is the biggest and most luxurious SUV that you can get from, um, from Lexus, and it's received some new nice updates um for this so the front has been revised a little bit so it's a little bit sleeker it's a bit cleaner um the previous one's a bit too angular for i think for a few people including myself so this is an a bit more um straight to the point and um a little bit more classy in a way um, you do have performance dampers to optimize body roll and steering stability which is very much welcome in this uh, in a car this big and um, you have aloe pedals, projector puddle lamps um, that show the LXS beamed on the ground, just to remind you exactly um, you've spent some good money on a very well-spec car. On the inside, you did a, you get a semi-aniline perforated leather in black or an exclusive rich burgundy called Garnet. And, uh, and then you get your other, you get wonderful gray ornamentation and um, other bits and pieces throughout the rest of the interior. Powering this big behemoth is a naturally aspirated 5.7 liter V8 engine, uh, producing 270 kilowatts of power and 530 newton meters of torque, and uh, it's connected to an eight-speed auto, four-time four-wheel drive, and um, yeah, so you have a braked towing capacity of 3,500 kilos and a 138-liter petrol tank to ensure that you can basically get to anywhere that you're wanting to go. Um, so this is. Also, you get the added Encore Platinum membership, which gives you a whole heap of different perks as a as a customer. So whether it's for travel, luxury, shopping, or anything like that, um, and you can also use Qantas Valet. And um, yeah, so that's that's going to be. Hopefully, we get out. We we might be able to get our hands on one. Pricing does start from one hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars for the LX four hundred and fifty D. But if you want to jump all the way up to the range, topping five seventy. S, which we're talking about, is $168,000 before your on-road costs. It's on sale now. And um, yeah, I, I think the particularly the steering wheel, it's just something about the steering wheel in this compared to the to the Land Cruiser even just looks great. Um, and I do prefer that larger infotainment screen compared to um, the Toyota equivalent. So yeah, looks great. Nice update. Not my cup of tea for a car. But, um, but yeah, I can certainly, whenever I see one of these, I do go, yeah, good choice. But anyway, so let's keep moving on. Uh, so Mercedes, following on from our discussion of how every single C-Class is going to be four-cylinder, um, their Mercedes AMG C43 has been discontinued, um, but has been replaced by the C45. It's a four-cylinder turbo, and um, yeah, this is going to be interesting. So this is, well, this is just a rumor at the moment, but... It's, it's pretty solid information uh, from what we can see. So previously, it has been a, um, a three-liter twin-turbo inline-six, um, but it is 
but we expect this four-cylinder to be essentially the same as what we've seen in the AMG or the A45 AMG, which is a two-liter turbo four-cylinder, but it's more powerful and offers similar levels of torque. Um, in the A45S, just this is what they're comparing it to, um, can do a 0 to 100 time in 3.9 seconds, while the current C43 can do 4.7 seconds. And, um, and they're expecting the C45 to also feature formatic all-wheel drive. And um, yeah, so it might they're not expecting it to be just as quick as the A45 because obviously it is a little bit smaller. Um, but the expectation is there that this is going to be um, quite a bit faster than that 4.7 second time of the current C43. So this is going to be a great thing. Um, you're also going to pick up better fuel economy running a smaller engine like that if the tuning is right. It's not always exactly like that. But yeah, so yeah, this is going to be interesting and um, yeah, looking forward to it. Um if you're wondering about the C63, um, this is going to be interesting because it's going to be expected to also drop the V8, but also utilize the two-liter four-cylinder, but also implementing a hybrid system to boost power. So the electric motor is expected to develop around 149 kilowatts and apparently provide power to the real axle only um, via 400 volt electric system and um, essentially it provides about 410 kilowatts and 800 newton meters of torque when combined with that turbo engine um, it's currently more performance than the current 375 kilowatt and 700 newton meter from the four liter twin turbo v8 um, but yeah so I, I think this is starting to see a little bit more information you know this is start of the benefits of um, Mercedes and their success in Formula One with their turbo hybrid systems. Um, so yeah, this is going to be exciting. I, I think there's going to be a few people upset, but I expect this to be a ripper of a car. I don't think Mercedes um, would want to jump in with an average product if they weren't sure of it. Um, but time will tell. So the 2021 Audi SQ2 so their little performance Q2 model has received pricing and specs. Uh, so this one goes up against the AMG GLA 35, BMW X2 M35i, and even you could say the Countryman JCW. Um, but this one is priced from 64,400 plus your on-road costs. And um, yeah, sort of sits just under the related S3 hot hatch and um, goes for those other little SUVs. So it's powered by a two liter turbo petrol four cylinder engine um, which gives you 221 kilowatts of power and 400 new meters of torque and um, so yeah it's uh, a little bit down on power compared to the others but yeah it comes down to the tuning and everything like that um, and the dynamics it's not all about power even though you know <laughs> we all prefer more power um, but you do have a seven speed dual clutch automatic um Audi's Quattro all-wheel drive system and um, a 0 to 104.9 seconds. So that's all in par of pretty much everything else or just a little bit quicker than, say, the Mercedes or the Mini. Um, you do have standard um, standard equipment such as your sports suspension, variable ratio, oh, sorry, variable ratio steering, matrix LED headlights with high beam assist, 19-inch alloys, red brake calipers, and your quad exhaust tips. You have a 705-watt Banger Lufsen sound system, a 12.3-inch digital instrument cluster, and a sporty steering wheel. Front sport seats with the S embossing and a diamond pattern stitching and Napa leather upholstery feature. 
So yeah, this is kind of cool. So this has been has been on sale overseas since 2018 um so it's taken a while for it to arrive here in australia it's not going to be the cup of tea of everybody in terms of looks i'm not completely sold but hey this is another cool sporty car that we can add and um for 64400 look it's not cheap um but it's compared to the others it's within about the right so x2 m35i is 68900 um your jcw even your countryman is 61915 and um your gla35 from mercedes is 83700 so when you take that into to into mind it sort of fits right in the middle and uh, or even just a smidge to the bottom and um yeah it could be a good little bargain in, in commas, of course, uh, for it. So that's going to be great to see on the roads. I'm sure we'll see quite a few of those, uh, no doubt. But if you want to jump all the way to the other end and uh, maybe it's not an entry-level performance SUV, but you want the ultimate in luxury from Mercedes, well, you're in luck. So the GLS 600, which is a Mercedes Maybach, is... Um, has got pricing so it's priced from 358 300 plus your honorary cost so that's you know add a good chunk onto that um so goods up against the bentley bentayga and the rolls royce cullinan in the upper large suv segment um but it does command a hundred thousand just over a hundred thousand dollar premium over the the relevant amg gls 63 um which is sort of takes that and goes all the other yeah, basically goes that and more. Um, the interior is pretty damn special. So you have um, four seats as standard. You can option a fifth one, but I don't think you'll want to. Um, you can also option what they call the executive rear package, which I, I think you just need to jump on the article and look at the photos. It's it's two massively reclined um, seats. It essentially kind of looks like... Uh, <laughs> An airplane seat that's basically it utilizes very cleverly that rear storage space that you find in the back of the GLS. Just like in, in a big SUV, it's utilizing that to give you more space as the passenger. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these being used as um, you know VIP shuttles or anything like that to to offer um, privacy, comfort, all that kind of thing for those who can afford it. Um, but look, jump on, look at the specs. I think, uh, yeah, it's. A, <laughs> I'm not lining up to, to buy one. It'd be great to, to, to have the opportunity to drive one. I think it'd be great to or maybe be driven in one. I think that's probably the more appropriate thing to be driven in a car like this. Um, I do have on good authority that those pillows in those back seats are just unbelievably comfortable. I know what the ones in the S-Class are like. I can uh, I can only imagine what those ones in uh, in the back of the GLS 600 are going to feel like. But anyway, let's come back to reality a little bit more. So, Havel or Havel, Havel I think is uh, the right way to pronounce it. Um, the Tank 300, yes, the Tank 300 is on the cards for Australia. So it takes on you know the 79 series. Toyota Land Cruiser, the Wrangler, Suzuki Jimny, Ford Ranger Raptor. Um, but yeah, this is pretty exciting. It's a pretty cool looking car. It is. Uh, so the Chinese brand is studying um, the Tank 300 for our market. And um, 
Yeah, it's uh, basically saying, look, the Tank 300 is a product we're looking at and considering we haven't made any decisions yet. We've done some local customer research and the results have been discussed with head office. Um, yeah, they, they didn't really want to talk about their studies, but I think um, I, I think it, I think it's probably reasonable given the success um, in particularly of uh, things like the, the Jimny and the Ranger Raptor that we could see one of these come down under. So it's powered by a two liter turbocharged engine um, paired with an eight speed conventional automatic gearbox, um, gives you about 170 kilowatts of power and 387 newton meters of torque. Um, but there's also um, it's likely that we could also see a bigger diesel um, generating closer to 500 newton meters of torque. Um, there's also a, well, this, uh, this Cars Guard article is saying that there's reports out of China suggesting a 375 kilowatt plug-in hybrid has also emerged, pairing a twin turbo V6 with an electric motor um, as well. But on board, low range four wheel drive diff locks and um, 220 millimeters in ground clearance adjustable suspension varies the ride height while six drive modes unlock rear wheel drive four wheel drive high and low and a rock creep mode while inside a 12.3 inch dual screen setup handles the tech and driving info duties uh, but it's cool this is it's um it kind of looks a, a mix between um the old really boxy Nissan patrols and the new Ford Bronco. That's probably what I would surmise it sort of look like. Kind of looks cool. I, I, I haven't, um, obviously we haven't seen one in person, but uh, this image in the, in the cars guide article um, really shows it off. They've got a ton of accessories loaded onto it and um, yeah, it looks great. Uh and uh, it would be interesting to see to put it through its paces, particularly up um, against the you know those models that are listed there: the Toyota Land Cruiser, the Wrangler, um, the Jimny, and the Ranger Raptor. But we'll uh, I, I, if it is coming, we'll let you know, and uh, we'll keep you up to date. Okay, so jumping to some international news, this is a pretty cool thing. So the Lotus uh, F Avija, I've forgotten how to pronounce it. Um, Effigy, Effigy, Avija. You know what I'm talking about. They're big, powerful, exciting hypercar that's all electric, crazy specs. Um, but this is interesting. So as part of many countries requiring electric vehicles to broadcast artificial noises at slow speeds to keep pedestrians safe and things like that, a lot of ones here do it. Hyundai does it. They have like a small thing of like a... A futuristic flying car sort of sound like, I don't know, I'm not going to repeat it here, but um, like a hum. Well, Lotus have kind of gone the opposite direction here and they've brought in Patrick Jordan Petrikos. Petrikos? Um, So he's a music producer and he's worked with a number of big big artists, um, Britney Spears, Susan Boyle and and quite a few others. But um, he's been reportedly recruited by Lotus to to develop that distinctive and organic sound for what would be um, a fairly silent hypercar. Um, But... Lotus have um, apparently selected a slowed down order recordings of their their iconic Lotus 49 Formula One car, which uses which was powered by a naturally aspirated three liter Ford Cosworth engine, um, being a V8. So yeah, this is kind of cool that it's been that has been used as the basis 
um, for it. So according to Mr. Patricios, I adjusted the replay speeds and digital filtering of the Type 49 to generate a soundscape for the Avisia. It was a very organic process. We all wanted something to spark an emotional connection between the car and driver. Sound is hugely influential when it comes to creating and forming emotions. To enrich that bond, that's such a critical part of the Lotus experience. Um, five world champions drove that legendary uh, open wheeler between 1967 and 1970. Um, those being Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Mario Andretti, John Rind, and Emerson Fittipaldi. Uh, the Vija derives power from four independent hub-mounted electric motors. This is a bonkers car. Um, voltage from 70 kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery pack, putting 1,470 kilowatts of power and 1,700 newton meters to the ground. Um, it will have a driving range of about 400 kilometers, um, but unfortunately, just 130 examples of the car are going to be built. So it's going to be expected to sell for about $3.1 million, and um, they're slated for production with deliveries expected later this year after, unfortunately, a few development delays, but it's very exciting that it's coming to the ground. So, yeah, this is um, pretty cool. This is a, a great... I don't know. This this is this is the future we're going to have. We're going to have remixed cars. We have remixed music, but now we're going to have remixed classic cars incorporating the future, which could be pretty exciting. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, this is a. Uh, I don't know. It'd be cool to see. I, I hope to see some uh, examples of that um, at some point. I think that'd be great. Um, if you're wanting to see something pretty exciting, so the GR Yaris has uh, lapped and done a hot lap of the Nurburgring, um, and in this particular video, it's kept uh, kept up with a BMW M2 competition. Um, yeah, this is uh, definitely worth jumping onto the, the article that we linked. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's uh, you, you can see that in this video that the, the GR driver is probably pushing a bit too hard. You're getting a lot of understeer. Um, you know, this is something you have to be careful of when you are going to a track day and, and driving particularly different cars, but also being sort of caught into a trap of following the person in front when they might be in fact a, a faster driver than you or even um, just more comfortable or even they might even be do the wrong thing and lead into an accident themselves and and so it's important to sort of keep focus on yourself and and do that but it's still a great video nonetheless to to watch i think it's a it's worth the uh the eight or so minutes to to watch it go down and uh, and hear there's great sounds too it's always a wonderful thing but finally, our last bit of news this week. So um, Jeep have rolled out a video detailing the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we're going to see this come down under, but uh, it's one of those cars that oh, if, you know, when we can travel back to the earth, I'd love to get my hands on one of these to experience because it just oh, it looks so impressive. Um, Pricing-wise, they have pricing as well. So this is the production model as well. It's no longer the concept vehicle. And the two models um, that they do have is the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer. So they're identical in size and shape, but they have obviously a number of different options along the way. So if you jump into the the entry-level Wagoneer that's 57995 US dollars and then you jump all the way up to the Grand Wagoneer which is about 87,000 US dollars um, but if you want to go nuts on the the options you can sort of push it past a hundred thousand dollars so it's not it's not cheap at 
all. Um, but jump onto the video. Road and Track have done a great sort of insight into it. And, um, yeah, certainly an impressive car. One to certainly, um, yeah, it, I don't think we'll see it down under at all. Um, I think it's just too expensive for, for what the market might be prepared for. But you never know. Um, but, yeah, we just don't have that same appetite as the Americans do. But nonetheless, it's always wonderful to see cars like this. And uh, it would be great to see a, an electric version um, even come down under at some point. That would be exciting. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, if you have any questions or you'd love to see us review something, uh, send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Send us an email, ask us a question, uh, and we'll address it in a future episode. Um, if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be very much appreciated. And um, give us a follow at Daily Autofix and um, on, on social media. But otherwise, I'm Ash Perkins and um, have a safe week. I'll be driving the GR Yaris. I'll come back next week and report my experience with that. And um, until then, stay safe and see you back here next time.